0: Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello coffee friends, how is December treating you? If you already have a business, you know this time is when we work like elves. I guess this is what the real meaning of elves is, us working very hard to make our customers happy. In the past two years, I was too busy to work on the online education platforms, so I neglected my European business green plantation. Our sales were well, fine, but you know they were not kind of multipliers as they should be in December. But this year I decided to try out few new marketing ideas I tested already throughout the year, and they worked okay. My vision for December was to make it into an integrated plan where one element would feed another and make a kind of a snowball effect. And it worked. Today is December 15th, and we are close to tripling our regular monthly sales. Yay! And all we did is used our approximately 1000 people email list, Facebook and Instagram. Wow, that's all. But this is not only about the December profits. To have a nice end of the year, yes, it is great. But to have the feedback, what we receive is the true value of these campaigns. First, we already see that we make our customers very happy. In one of the campaigns, we are focused on to acquire first time customers because we know that our product is like Pablo Escobar's product highly addictive (laughs) put it into business perspective we know that once the customer tries our coffee they tend to stay with us at this point we can have a high customer lifetime value so in this particular campaign we do not mind to have lower profits for the chance to introduce our product to the customer second these campaigns gave us incredible amount of statistical information about how to adjust the product line pricing and customer incentives in 2016. And this is all done by few campaigns, which run for 5 or less dollars per day on Facebook and Instagram. For now, we spent around 250 euros, but we tripled our sales. Why am I bragging about this? Well, because I want you to do the same. It is so easy and all you need is a small budget and experimentation. Set up your Google Analytics right now and start to track your conversions. It is so important to start to gather data, because, you know, not all of those campaigns will be successful. And actually, a lot of them will be lemons. But those lemons will tell you what you don't want to do next, right? So you have to do this. You have to start doing it now, so you get the complete picture as soon as possible. So I wish you the same what what we achieved in December. And if you are interested in content like this, let me know. I'll be happy to talk about it, what we did and how we did it or perhaps invite some guest my mentors perhaps you know where i learned all these skills so let me know if you're interested in content how to uh market stuff on a social media just let me know i'll do it it is something which i'm really interested in and i like to talk about and i feel really passionate about and trust me it's not about bombing your customers with uh with ads it's all about creating a connection with your customers so there's much more into it just creating an ad and put it on facebook they mostly don't work you have to really have an integrated plan how you will acquire those customers or how you will motivate them to buy okay let's move on we have the spudgy awards here is a shout out to what on the spudgy awards not that they deserve it because they never answer my emails Grrr. does anyone else has this experience i don't know why they never answer my emails well Whatever, we love Sprudge and they do amazing job and I want to do a shout out to vote on the Sprudgy Awards. One thing about Sprudgy Awards is I wish I did not have to vote on everything because on some of the uh, categories I do not have an opinion. So I went just by feeling. Well one category I have a very strong opinion is about the best magazine. Obviously I love Standard Magazine. And not only because Tender started in Slovakia, my home country, and not only because Michal Morcan is an awesome coffee dude and buddy, but because it is an amazing magazine. And actually so amazing that in the second issue I have an article and I traded my pay for a few extra issues. (laughs) Check them out if you don't know what I'm talking about. And if you do and you like them, vote for them. I I just love them. I hope Michal will be once uh, our future guest. The next thing is coffeecourses.com. I don't know what spent too much time on this. I'm just telling you that this is a last month when you can save 100 bucks on a membership. The reason is because we moved from Bootcamp Coffee to coffeecourses.com, and Bootcamp Coffee was priced at $499.95, $500, and the coffeecourses.com is priced at $600. But this month, you can get coffeecourses.com with much more content for the same price as bootcamp coffee so if you want to do that you can use the coupon code welcome symbol just the word welcome and you can save 100 bucks it's a last month so after this the coffee courses will be 600 and we will increase the price accordingly because we're going to add new models and it will always reflect uh the the whole content because the in modules now you can buy actually individually and if you add the prices of them then they are like i think thousand bucks so you save anyway save 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 i know it's crazy i, I don't want to go nuts about this but really it's the last month when you can get it for the same price as you used to get bootcamp coffee bootcamp coffee is not going away but there'll be no more content added to it so coffee course this is our future all right in this episode we say bye to mike perry from clutch coffee as usually the last episode is when he answers your questions you ask through our facebook group called coffee is dot me if you're not a member you should do it right now No, seriously right now join coffee is dot me facebook group because there's not too many of us there's like probably 300 people right now but we discuss coffee business related issues so if you are into coffee business and you have questions from one of our members do so. Last time we talked about packaging, I enjoyed it a lot because green plantation is doing new packaging right as we speak. We're taking a giant risk uh, going with a, a company through Alibaba. So <laughs> I'm your experimental uh, puppet. So if, we, if this doesn't work, I can, I will tell you that we did a, a 3000 euro mistake. <laughs> Man, I hope this works. Anyhow, so now let's listen to Mike Perry from Clatch Coffee. Okay. So how do you sell your coffee offline, farmers, markets, etc., and online? And why do you prefer one uh, method over other? Or what are the advantages of one method over the other?
1: Uh, well, as far as us, I mean, we sell direct in our own stores, obviously. Mm-hmm. We sell online quite a bit. And our online store uh, does as much as a brick-and-mortar store. Yeah. So that's a big help. But it's taken many, many years to get there, and we've had a lot of success helping us. And then we sell... Wholesale. So to us, all three are components that help build our business and all three are important. So I wouldn't say any one is more important than the other. We really think the synergy of the three help us together. And those are primary distribution ways we do it, which is online, direct to our stores and wholesale.
0: As an online marketeer and nerd, I have to say you do amazing job with online stuff. Thank you. I really think that I get inspired a lot from that. So, uh, if anyone thinking to start an online store, online business, they should check you out. Sign up to your email list because you do amazing emails. Thank you. So uh, they should copy you. No, <laughs> <you> get <inspired. laughs> I'm copy- getting <laughs> inspired. No, I mean, uh, who is doing that for you, by the way?
1: Uh, we do it in house. Uh, so you Ella. do it
0: like you family.
1: Uh well, not me personally. I have a guy Enzo who's been with us for many years now, and uh, he's still a young guy and. Uh, He does all of our managing our website, updating our website, sending out the newsletters. Uh, He does many, many hats in our business.
0: Well, say hi to him because he's doing a great job. (laughs) I'll pass
1: on your congrats.
0: When it comes to your web store, I noticed one thing. I was just checking out what kind of coffees you have, guys. And I noticed that you have, you can select the grind. But if I try to select it, it just says uh, whole bean. What's up with that?
1: Well, I I think that's true and false. Mm-hmm. Espresso, we only offer whole bean because it's impossible to pre-grind espresso that's going to work. Okay. So we don't offer espresso anyway but whole bean. On some of our high-end uh, coffees, the, the micro lot type ones, we only offer those whole bean. But on many of our other coffees, we do offer grind options. So you can get a ground. Uh, but it's less than 1% of our sales. Most of our customers are specialty higher-end customers that understand good coffee should be ground fresh. They should be buying whole bean. Uh, So we primarily sell 99% of our stuff is that way.
0: Okay. I was just wondering, I probably uh, went through those coffees which did not have that uh, choice because (laughs) I wrote the article not long ago, the freshness of coffee for uh, bootcamp coffee. And uh, I said that little thing that we are crazy because Green Pantation does not sell ground. (laughs) And people said, you are crazy. So I was like, hmm. I said, I'm doing something innovative, but I'm doing something crazy. So yeah, I, I just
1: think that's a, a, a smart way to do it because, you know, even if someone says, we'll grind it for drip, you know, if coffee dries out a little bit. Can you get a proper pour? It's not going to be as fresh. Obviously, you're going to, even in a sealed bag of nitrogen flush, it's still going to start to, you know, oxygenate a little bit or d- deteriorate. And it's not going to be as good. And it doesn't represent our coffees as well as it should. So.
0: I agree with you. And that's why, you know, I was like, my theory was that we really want to differentiate ourselves and even the fact that we don't grind, uh, don't grind your coffee makes a buzz. People talk about in Slovakia that, look, these guys are such a nerd or, (laughs) oh, look at these guys. They actually really care about that quality. So it creates buzz, you know, so that's that's Mm -hmm. cool. All right. If you would have start again, what would you do different?
1: You know, I... I don't know that i would do anything different nice Uh, you know everything i went through had a benefit to me even when i said we started we spent all of our money i I guess i wish i had more more reserve money when i started but had i waited till i got i couldn't have started uh because there were times that we we worked 67 even 80 hour weeks because we had to because that's all the money we had we couldn't just pay employees we didn't have the negative capital to do that You know, we had to make a paycheck. Uh, If it wasn't through those times, I might not appreciate where I am today as much. Uh, I wouldn't have worked as hard if I didn't work as many hours in my business. I wouldn't have learned as much. I wouldn't have seen as much. I wouldn't have improved as much. So even those times, I think, had a benefit. Uh, You know, everything pays off if you're open to learning. Mm -hmm. And we've tried to learn through everything we've done. So whether it's been a success or not, we've learned through it. Nice. I, I mentioned Heather in the first barista competition, you know, pulling out the six-gun shooter and having a cowboy hat and boots on and, and lighting the marshmallow on fire. You know, we didn't win. We didn't do anything. But it was through that that she learned what was important and learned how to get better.
0: By the way, I love it.
1: <laughs> so we learned through everything. So to us, I, I really wouldn't want to do anything different.
0: Okay. How many days per week do you roast? And what is the most number of days we should wait from the time an order is placed until it is roasted? Uh, well,
1: as I mentioned, when we only had the one and we were uh, barely keeping up, it was six days a week, two shifts. But now that we've you know, increased our capacity three times, uh, we basically roast five days a week. We will occasionally work a, a six-day, but primarily it's five days a week. Uh, we're able to do it one shift if we get overwhelmed, we sometimes will work a split shift. So maybe we're running the machines 12 hours instead of eight. Uh, but we're primarily doing it that way. And as far as how long people should wait, you know, in our case, because we're not pulling from a shelf, it does take time to roast it. You can't just ship it out the same day because we have to roast it. So I think, you know, our, our goal is everything should be done within two days. We want to make sure at least 95% of stuff is done within two days. That make that happen. There are some coffees that are the high engages in that, that we only roast one day a week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people need to understand that, but it should hopefully, uh, if it comes in, it goes to production the next day and we'll get done that, you know, within two days, we'll be processed and shipped, and that's reasonable. The time to get to the customer depends on do they want to pay for next day or ground? You know, if you're getting espresso, as I said, we like our espresso to at least be seven days old. So, You know, for espresso, you're right in the wheelhouse. You're looking fine. For drip coffee, it kind of depends. Now, we do put ours in sealed bags, one-way valve, nitrogen flush, so it's going to stay fresher longer. And we've done experiments, and we've, we've done cupping of coffee that has been, you know, two weeks, four weeks, two months, three months to see is it still fresh, how is it still good, can you really taste the difference? And I would say most times you really can't tell the difference you can maybe barely tell if it gets to be two to three months uh, but what will happen is that coffee let's just say you got the coffee you were on the West Coast and you placed your order we obviously roast the order and ship so once they get it, it's gonna be let's say two to three days past roast A little fresh for espresso but fine for drip and they've got the bag and let's say they order two bags the first one they open once it's open, now you've exposed it to the oxygen. So now it will start to stale or deteriorate, but it takes time. And it's going to probably take, we find, you know, it's still going to be, you're going to be able to pull that coffee for a week, no problem. But if you have a bag, let's just say you end up not you opening for two months and then you open it up, it'll still be good that first pot. But boy, it seems to deteriorate very fast. Uh-huh. And it's not going to last that same week. So that's the difference. So I like people, I, you know, I tell them, I say, order what you're going to drink within a week and order every week. You know, you want fresh coffee. That's what you should do.
0: This uh, brings me to another question. Um, these uh, nitri- nitrogen flushed packaging, mm-hmm. uh, does it really make a big difference? I have to say, I have no experience with that whatsoever.
1: Well, I think it depends on the, on the freshness of the coffee and how you do it. I, I think it, it's a minor difference. Every little bit helps. We try to do it to, to really kind of get it to that next degree of, of freshness. But if you're actually roasting and packing the coffee with a one-way valve in it, the, the gases that the coffee emits as it degasses is going to push out any oxygen left in there. And you're going to get it within a few days, and I think you're going to be fine. But if someone were to hang on to it, uh, I think the nitrogen will help. Mm-hmm. It gets the oxygen out. That's the purpose of it.
0: Uh, what is your biggest determining factor for how you approach a roast?
1: Tell me more about the question.
0: Uh, that's the question. What is your biggest? Determin- <laughs> so m- what I imagine under the question when they ask me this, like, uh, so if you get a coffee in front of you, how you will decide about your first roast profile?
1: Okay. Well, that, that goes back to our basic uh system that we use. So let's just say first I'm trying to buy a coffee and I would just cup tons of coffees from a from a region to get the one that I think is the best for the flavor I want. Once I get it in now, let's say now the bags arrive so we've got the arrival, how am I gonna roast it? Well what we'll do is we'll take that coffee and on a sample roaster we'll do 100 gram samples at different roast degrees, different you know degrees of darkness different weight losses. And we'll taste them all. And we'll see what tastes the best. And then based on what tastes the best, we know about where it ought to end up. Now we'll go back and we'll go to that roast level. Let's try it with a you know a six-minute roast, an eight-minute roast, a, you know, not a 10-minute roast on a sample roast, you're kind of increasing the roast time with that same weight loss and degree of roast, and where does it taste better? Or maybe we, you know, we start manipulating and fine-tuning with a hundred grams at a time to see where we can get it best. Then when we determine where that coffee is actually the best and what it tastes like, now we'll extrapolate or use that knowledge to go to our production machine. And we'll know, okay, with this particular bean, based on the density of the machine, based on the the bean, based on the moisture of the bean, which obviously we have a moisture meter and we can check density on the beans, and we'll know what our target is, we can determine what to roast it as a starting profile. And we'll do a small batch to begin with, and we'll roast it at that profile that we think is going to match what we were able to develop in the lab. So it's that same system of, you know, in the beginning, we experimented, we documented, and we tasted. So based on that, now we go to the, the bigger machine, and we'll do that, we'll, we'll do that, what we call the experiment based on the education we learn and what we know about the bean and then we'll cut that first the best sample roast and how good is it you know is it better is it worse if it's lacking in some way then let's change let's manipulate the roast let's try this and we'll do another experiment and we'll document which now of course we've got it all on crops and we have all of it recorded and then we taste again and we do that until the bean tastes right and when we've got it just perfect now we have a profile that we can duplicate and offer to our customers. So that's the process we go through in getting it there. So it's it's based on what we learn in the cupping room and the sample machine. And it's based on experimentation that we've developed with the knowledge and background of previous roast with that type of thing, previous beans that are similar.
0: Wow, that's very labor intensive.
1: It is, but it pays off in having a great product. True. And we donate a lot of beans. <laughs> I, I mean, we do so much sample roasting. We we donate to a you know a local uh, food uh, shelter and, and give them all of our extra coffees, and it's better than anything. We can get it. it's a mixture of stuff sometimes, and then we get to the production machine like I said, we do have cafes so if the roast is good but not as good as the bean can be, we might serve it and just call it experimental Columbian <laughs> and people it's one of our experiments whatever you know we're doing uh, if it comes out really bad, well then we'll just donate it if it's really bad, we'll throw it away <laughs> rarely do we get really bad I mean you got to feel yeah. anything we, we can donate it's going to be better than they're going to get from folders or, or whatever they would normally buy so they're pretty happy to get it
0: yeah that's, that sounds good. Uh, we do the same, by the way. We when we mess up a roast, we we have old, uh, like old guys home, you know, and <laughs> yep. they they just love that coffee. And they, can, you know, it's like even if we like seriously mess it up because of anything, you know, they 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 get much better coffee than the anything that before they had in their life, you know. So exactly, it's such a sad state with uh, <laughs> the consumer coffee that we we can basically mess up and still make something amazing. <laughs> Okay, next question from our listeners. Let's see. Uh, okay, you said what your roaster did you uh, start with? But this is a good question. How long did it take to outgrow it? So let's say you had. Let's talk about uh, the roaster, which was a twenty-two kilo one. And how long did it take to outgrow it?
1: Well, for us, uh, it was actually a long time—fifteen
0: years—because
1: mm. uh, we started with a bigger roaster because we were roasting 6 and 7 days a week because we were roasting 16 hours a day we were doing a lot of volume we could do a lot of volume on that machine so it we probably could have bought one sooner but we didn't have a facility to put it in so that's why we roasted just multiple shifts you know a roaster is a piece of equipment it can be ran 16 hours a day no problem mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you're keeping up on your maintenance, you're doing your preventive maintenance, you're keeping it clean, which is a big deal with roasters that people don't pay attention to sometimes. You have to clean these things all the time uh, we've been twenty some years, never had a roaster fire wow. uh, so very fortunately, I mean the joke is there's two types of roasters: those that have had fires and those that are going to. We've never had one, but it's because we keep our equipment so clean, you know that's something that people really have to do to think about roasting so we did not grow up, but we started with a, a larger machine. Uh, I think I said ideally, a, to me, a, a 12 to 15 kilos is a perfect size for someone to start with. We'll keep up with a small enough to do a cafe, but keep up with, you know, wholesale production for quite a while. Yeah.
0: You know, we uh, one other thing why I love to have bigger roasters is that, especially in the beginning when you cannot afford to hire someone, you are doing all the all the chores. So you're doing everything right. from accounting to marketing, emails, you name it. So what we like to do in green plantation is like we roast two days a week. It's usually uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesday we ship. So, you know, people get it fresh still until Friday. So the mail will deliver it mm-hmm. and the, the Monday and uh, Thursday and Fridays are days when uh, Peter can do anything he wants, he can uh, talk to the wholesale customers, he can uh, help me with the marketing, because I do mostly the marketing. So there's a lot of, he has a lot of time as a CEO. So he's a roaster on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, but most of the time he's a he's a uh, CEO. And we started only Tuesdays, so now it's Wednesdays. And when it comes to, you know, Thursdays and Fridays, then it's time that we're growing fast enough so we can afford uh, to hire someone who will roast, you know? So it's, I think that the big roaster is a good strategy all the time.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's the problem with the guy that buys the one to three kilo machine is he's just behind it all the time. When does he go and do sales? When does he work with his customers? Mm -hmm. When does he, you know, have chance to sample green to look for better beans to keep up the quality? Uh, he can't. So definitely having a little bit bigger machine to start is something you want.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right. Next question is uh, okay. What would you think of a small batch, rose by order business model, which you actually do? Uh, what would be a good gimmick strategy? Oh, sorry. Would it be a good marketing gimmick strategy? What strategy that you use to minimize cost? Okay. That's from one person, but two different questions.
1: Ooh, so the first question was,
0: what would uh, is it the uh, rose to order model uh, only a marketing gimmick?
1: Well, I think roasting to order can be good if you have somewhere to put the coffee that's more than the order you filled. Meaning, as I said, if you've just got – if you are doing internet, let's say, and you, you only have two 12-ounce bags of a coffee, you know, you can't roast a, a pound and a half or two-pound batch. So you need to roast a little bit bigger. Where do you put that coffee? That's where having a cafe helps us. But you don't want to sit it on the shelf because now it's not a roast-to-order business. And – uh but I but I like that roasting order, I like the freshness. I think that works. As far as a, a marketing gimmick, gimmicks to me I, I don't believe in. Uh, I, I think it's it's honest to tell people you're doing that if you're doing that. It's a gimmick if you're telling them you're doing that and you're not. You know, gimmicks to me are not honest. Mm-hmm. So I don't like the word gimmick. But as far as a strategy, it's a good one only if you're able to fulfill it. So it depends on your your model. Again, if you're just roasting to order purely uh, and you don't have a cafe to put it in, what are you going to do with those beans? Are you going to throw all the rest out? Uh, Can you do a batch that small? If you do, your labor is going to eat you up and you're not going to make money. So, it'll only work if you have the right business to do it. And with a cafe, we have that. Uh, Strategy to minimize cost, obviously, is to several ways. One, you mentioned that you do. You roast two days a week. So you're able to gather those orders and roast a bigger batch at once. Smart way to do it. And a lot of guys that do that, they might start out roasting one day a week and then two and then three as the business grows. And they, they have those dates that they've set up to meet their customers so that when you roast a particular coffee, you can do a, you know, a big enough batch that you're not killing yourself on labor. Some of our higher end coffees, as I mentioned, we roast one day a week, even though we roast every day or five days a week, we might do the, the geishas you know, once a week so that people are getting enough of an order that we can make a decent sized batch to fulfill that, to have a, uh, you know, not have too much labor to make the price higher than it should be. So I think that's one way to minimize cost.
0: Cool. Uh, Next question is uh, about your wholesale pricing structure. So uh, do you have, what's your wholesale pricing structure? formula and uh oh so what yeah basically what's your pricing structure for wholesale uh accounts what's the quantity i guess what would be the percentage of wholesale to retail so in our case we work
1: on a cost plus as i said i kind of came from a construction background where we would price out every individual piece every individual component we wouldn't just square foot price it we would actually figure what our ex- exact cost was and what our labor was. So I start with what do I pay for a bean? So you know if I'm paying four bucks a pound, is that FOB to the uh, farmer? Then I've got the import cost by time it gets to me. Uh, if it's being stored, let's say at a warehouse at the annex somewhere, uh, there's storage fees there. It's got to come down to me. There's cost of money, and then the, the labor to bring it to me. So by time that four dollar a pound coffee Gets to my door and that's a coffee, let's say, I'm going to have for six months. Well, if I have to pay it out front, then I have to have the cost of money. and What would that money make in the bank? Or if it's being financed by the importer, well, he's going to charge me a little more for it. He's going to make his money. He's not going to give me free. So we need to build all that in. So that $4 a pound coffee, by the time it gets to me at my roastery, might be four sixty dollars a pound. Well, then I'm going to roast it. Depending where my roast is, I'm going to have weight loss, which you're aware of. So, you know, now that if I'm going to have, let's just say 15% weight loss, then I've got to add that on top. So now that 460 goes up another, uh, what would that be, 70 cents or whatever. So now it's even higher. Then I've got my labor to roast. Now everybody's labor is a little bit different. But I think what some guys forget is maybe they throw in just the cost to roast, but don't consider all their other labor, meaning the time you receive the beans, uh, the time you uh, spend in the sample lab, all these different ones. I had a friend once that told me, he said, man, I can roast for 13 cents a pound because we got this new machine. Well, he was figuring is if he's doing the maximum when he's doing it in so many minutes and what it works out to. And I said, oh, man, that's great. I'll send you all my coffee, 13 13- cents a pound. Oh, no, I can't do it for 13 cents. <laughs> like, well, I thought that's what your cost. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you 26. You can double your money. Oh, no, I can't do it for that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think you have to be honest on what it costs you to roast it. And obviously, someone roasting on a smaller machine is going to have a higher labor cost than someone on a bigger one. But you've got, you know, all your costs involved in roasting. So that might cost you as much as a dollar a pound, or maybe two, or maybe fifty cents. But you've got some kind of a cost there to roast that you need to figure in. Uh, then you've got your cost of of packaging, mm-hmm. depending on how you're packaging. It's more labor to put in a twelve ounce bag than a five pound bulk. So you've got to figure that the cost of the bag and the labor to bag it. Then you've got your cost of shipping, and your box and your things like that. You've got to add that cost in there. You've got your you know utilities and your warehouse, your basic overhead that you've got to figure out. you've got your overhead on two fronts. You've got your production overhead, but you've also got your office overhead. You know, someone's taking the orders, right? Who pays them? Where's that money come from? You know, someone's creating the invoices. You know, you've got your office staff. That you've got to figure in money to cover that. If you have a salesman that's working in the field for you, well, he's got to get a paycheck, right? So you've got to figure costs of your, your salesman in there. Uh, you mentioned, you know, you, you like some of our newsletters and things like that. Well, that's marketing. We've got to have money in there for that, so we have to include that. So in our case, we line item all of our costs and enough to cover everything that goes through. And then you can't forget profit because uh, you have to make enough money that you can stay in business, and it's okay to, to make money. I think some guys are afraid to make money. I'm not sure why. But you need, you need to make money or you're not going to be here. How are you going to buy a new roaster if you're not making money, right? Where's that come from? They don't give them to us. <laughs> so you've got to be profitable enough to grow your business. So we have to be able to do that. You know, it's, it's funny in coffee. There's, a, there's a, a big thing going on in sustainability. We want to pay the farmer a wage so he can be sustainable and pay him more money. But I think we forget that sustainability continues right on through. Meaning as a roaster, we need to be sustainable too. We need to be in business. So we need to charge a fair price that allows us to be here next year and the year after and to grow our business to be able to support and help our customers. If I'm providing training for them and it's a wholesale customer, typically if they're an exclusive wholesale customer, we're giving them that training for free. Mm -hmm. But I have to pay my employees to do it. So where does that money come from? We have to have that somehow built into that price. That's something that differentiates us from other people. And then the, the customer that buys from me. He has to be sustainable. So it's not always just paying the farmer more money. It's you want to pay him a sustainable living wage that allows him to be able to grow his crops, to take care of his crops, to feed his family. We want him to be sustainable as well. But it's not just always paying more money. It's paying a fair value for the quality you can get there. You know, One of the wonderful things that we try to do – through our direct trade models, isn't just buy the most expensive coffees, even though we have some really expensive geishas, but we try to find value for our customers too. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's affordable that allows them to be sustainable. Because as much as you know, someone might love a geisha, everybody can afford to spend you know fifty plus more a pound. Uh, or on the retail side, $100 a pound or something. Some, you know, Obviously, William has some great geishas up there with La Mula and, and those farms. That's expensive coffee. They can't drink that every day. That's not sustainable for them. So they might treat themselves like we do a fine meal once in a while, but that's not going to be their everyday coffee. So we need to find value for our customers as well. But all this and working on my pricing structure, we figure out. So that $4 coffee may end up wholesaling out at, at 10 or 11 or $12 a pound, depending on what, what all is built into it. Mm-hmm. And then for retail, you know, if we're selling to somebody, they should hopefully be able to double their price. That means it's going to retail at double that approximately. Uh, and that's why I think the market has kind of gone to the 12-ounce bags. So it makes it a little bit better. So instead of someone having to pay $20 a pound, they can maybe get it for a 15- or 12-ounce bag. But uh, that's kind of how we work it out. We really work at our cost, and from our cost, we work up to a wholesale price. I see, and then from wholesale we work on retail, and you know we we have our own stores, but our own stores buy from us from our wholesale division the same price we sell to our customers at. So our our retail stores are successful at the prices we sell coffee for. They don't get a discount compared to my other customers because their own store. They pay the same price. Interesting. The only difference would be that we offer is on the wholesale side. We think. Everybody should have the same – there should be the st- same structure for everybody. But there is a what's called a volume discount. So in other words, to me, if you're buying less than 15 pounds a week, you're a retail customer. You're not really a wholesale customer. I, I hope a coffee house is, is ordering more than 15 pounds a week. You know. So if they're buying – you know, a five pound bag, that's not a wholesale customer. That's a retail customer. They're obviously putting in their office. We offer a discount on a five pound versus a 12 ounce, but, you know, somebody's uh, going to get that. So a wholesale customer, you know, with class is minimum 15 pounds. But as they go, they get bigger discounts. So, for example, if you're buying over uh, so many pounds, 35 in California or 70 nationwide, we give free shipping. So someone can buy 15 pounds, get wholesale pricing. But they would pay for shipping if they're buying in California up in your market, you know, the 35 pounds, the shipping's free. If they go to 100 pounds, now they get a volume discount off the price of the bean. So it's a little bit less. And then we have discounts at 500 pounds, 1,000, and 5,000 pounds. We've got some customers that are buying five pallets who are getting that volume discount. So that's how they pay less money.
0: Five pallets of roasted coffee. Yes. Wow. Well, they
1: get everything in between. I mean, it starts at, you know, the free shipping. Then it's at 100 pounds as a discount. It goes up to 500 as a discount at 1,000. And and the discount is based on the volume. It continues up. The bigger volume you get, the bigger the discount.
0: I mean, I'm sure that people will uh, ask me to ask you, how do you get a customer who buys five pellets of roasted coffee?
1: (laughs) Uh, Two ways. One, you produce great coffee that they want to buy from you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I should say three, but that's one. Two... You provide value pricing that helps them. So, again, it's not just the most expensive coffee. It's a great coffee at a, at a, a fair price, a value price, so they can be sustainable. So you, you've got to get those two things working for them, the quality and the value and the pricing. And, the, and that really helps the most. Uh, but third, you want to help them grow to them, so they get to that point. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're helping them with the education on the barista side. We're trying to help them grow their business to get to that point
0: yeah that that's a good point so you said, you said uh, something that uh the also the rosters should be sustainable, and I think Thanks. that one of the reasons when you go to a business, any kind of business that you know uh, your passion is there and you you want that business to make you happy, and if you will just do survival, that will not make you happy Correct. so that so that's why you know uh putting in a profit does totally make sense.
1: Well, it won't only not make you happy, it won't make you stay in business. Because if you're just doing enough to cover that and get a wage, what happens when the machine breaks? Where's the money to fix it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Okay, not the next question is very interesting, actually. Uh, I'm interested in this, too. Uh, it's about salespeople. So do you have salespeople, and how do you reward them?
1: Uh we're lucky enough, we only have one outside salesperson, uh, and that's Todd Goldsworthy. Uh, and we were lucky enough, he actually joined us with a diverse background uh, coming through Starbucks. And he loved coffee, spent 10 years with him working his way up through the company, but he wanted to get in a better specialty. And that's why he's willing to, to come to work for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pay him a, a base salary plus commission. And we're actually looking now, as we've as I mentioned, we got in this new roastery and training lab that we're just getting so much busier. We need to add two more salespeople. So if anyone out there is looking, we are looking to hire salespeople right now. And in doing so, we would guarantee a base and give them commission on top of that. Obviously, it would vary a little bit with their experience. Todd had quite an experience, even though it was with Starbucks. He was really a passionate coffee guy, and it paid off because he won the U.S. Brewing Championship uh, a year ago. Uh, it's a past champion so uh it, it paid off in his search for quality but we're looking for somebody like that now
0: cool so if somebody wants a job uh you can they can apply they can apply Mike might get clutch roasting no. <laughs> no problem i mean i will apply but the retraining lab but they have to move down first um, <laughs> no it's you know I I have one more question about these salespeople because uh, Green Plantation ha- is in a similar situation, and we never had salespeople. And I you know, and I want to be fair to them. I know that they do like commissions, but how does this work exactly? So, uh,
1: well, I think it's hard in coffee to have a pure commission salesperson. Mm-hmm. The reason being is is coffee is a repeat business, especially on the bean side, right? So it's a lot of work to find a customer, but then when you find them. Now you get to repeat business. So initially, somebody would starve if they didn't get a base salary. So you have to give them a base salary so they can be sustainable themselves, so they can pay their bills, so they can eat and pay their rent. So I think you have to provide some kind of base. But then I also like giving them an incentive of a commission on top of that for those that as they grow their business and do better. So I really think at least in here in the States, you kind of got to get a mixture of the two together.
0: And that's what we believe in. But the question is like, you know, you have a, let's say uh, he finds you a cafe and the cafe will order every, you know, month, certain amount. So is the commission, does it mean that this cafe is his cafe and he earning a commission from that cafe?
1: That's how we do
0: it. Okay. yes,
1: We pay him a commission on all sales from that. So it's not just the first time he finds it. It's ongoing because again, with us, it's a little bit different. You know, part of what differentiates us is the support we can give and the training we can give that cafe. So part of our salesperson's job isn't just finding the account, but it's maintaining and managing that account. Important. You know, a good salesperson goes in, he's trying to help them improve all the time. And the more they improve, the more they buy from him. The customer grows, which means the more they buy from me, right? So so we want them to improve and grow. And that's to the, the salesperson continuing to work with them.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's important. So he's also a person who they contact and, and learn from on the business side.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. And when he leaves then the commission is gone. Correct. <laughs> okay, just checking, you know, because you never know.
1: You know. Uh, then they become a house account.
0: <laughs> oh, so so you should hire somebody then fire them? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: We don't want to do that. We like long term employees. Of course
0: everybody does. That was just a silly <laughs> remark. Uh when it comes to hiring apprentice uh roasters. Sorry, I have skipped one. Okay, let me do this. Oh, um, what are the ma- ma- main criteria when you're selecting a team member or employees? And I checked your uh job, jobs, you know, your listings, and I noticed that you were hiring a, a roaster and one of the criteria was math. Yes. So what are the criteria? How do you select your team members?
1: Well, it starts with someone that loves coffee because we are tasting all the time. Every one of on my roasting team is always tasting coffee with us. We kind of take a team effort to it. It's not just purely my opinion on what we're going to do. We taste together just like, you know, many cuppers scoring a coffee. So we taste together. We didn't So we want someone that loves coffee because let's face it, as you know, coffee roasting is hard work it's labor. You've got to have a benefit. And to me, one of the great benefits is getting to cup great coffee. So it starts with someone that loves coffee. But yeah, beyond that, one of the things people don't realize is the math involved. Because, you know, when you're studying that roast, you're studying, you're doing a profile and you're doing time versus temperature and being able to follow one. And you're always trying to figure rate of rise. How fast is it going? And to do that, someone needs to look at a glance and determine, I'm here. I'm watching the temperature. I'm counting thousand one thousand two thousand three. Bam! Another temperature. Three uh, seconds a degree. That's twenty degrees a minute. I need to go. I'm at this temperature. I need to go to that temperature. What rate should I be at? So you know whether to turn the gas down or, or not, not to maintain that perfect profile that you're following. Because if you're trying to follow a profile, it's like kind trying to drive a car. If you wait till you're in that ninety degree turn to change it from uh, sixty miles an hour to twenty. You're going to go right through that turn. Mm-hmm. You have to look ahead and see what's coming. You slow down before you get to the turn. So with roasting, you need to do that same thing. You need to figure that out. So that's why there's a lot of math involved, and people don't realize that. It obviously, though, it starts with a passion and love for coffee, and then math is another big skill.
0: So, what are looking in when you're hiring a, a roaster? Is it more the skills, experience, or is it more the you know like general? people's attitude and you can maybe train that person because he has a great attitude. So people skills or, uh, experience
1: for us, it's more the people skills It's someone we think we can get along with, uh, someone that, you know, maybe has possibly, a, a little coffee or, or warehouse type experience. Cause working in a warehouse is way different than working as a barista. You know, they're, they're two different skill sets. When we look to hire a barista, say, because we have cafes, we're hiring people. So we, we generally do uh, hiring fairs. We get lots of people coming in, and we bring them in in small groups together, of groups of five, ten people, and we ask questions, and we see who in that group do you enjoy talking to? Who's got that personality that you, that you want to be with? Because that's who our customers are going to want to be with in our cafe. And in a cafe, a barista is what? They're interacting with a customer. They're, all, they're real people. Uh, people persons, as I guess you would say, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just standing behind and making a perfect drink. You've got to interact with the customer while you're doing it. So we're looking for great people that can talk to our customers, make them feel special, that enjoy that. That's what we're looking for, for the cafe. But if you're a roaster, you're probably most of the time working alone. There's no one else there to talk to. So it's a little bit different type individual that can do that. You know, a lot of people, maybe they were a barista. So, oh, I want to advance my skills. I want to be a roaster, you know. But it's a whole different type of thing. So are they able to do that or not? So we kind of try to talk to them and figure that out. But obviously, we'd, we personally would rather train people to roast our way than hire someone with experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. When it comes to uh, baristas becoming roasters, that's a very good point. Uh, I have a good example. We have one passionate barista who is with us for a long time, and he works for other cafes, but he's our uh, big fan and luckily always convinces the cafes to buy from us. (laughs) But for a while, we hired him as a roaster. He really wanted to roast coffee, and we hired him as our roaster. And he was really sad. He was depressed (laughs) because he got used to talk to people. He used to, you know, like explaining coffee. And suddenly he was roasting, being alone, and just with the roster, and he said, he said that was really, really horrible. So yep. he, we had to let him go, and I was sorry for that. But now, today, he's, he's again, like a happy barista and working for a, a very good cafe in Bratislava in the capital of Slovakia. Yeah. We, I have to say that I'm always curious, and you you already talked about this, that how uh, how do these competitions help your business? You said that they helped you a lot. I had also... Uh, one guest before who said, told that, you know, yes, uh, it helped. They won the uh, the Good Food Awards and they said, you know, that it helped them a lot. But uh, for us, AeroPress did not do anything. <laughs> oh, surprising. <laughs> no, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun and it just, you know, we created some buzz, but sales did not move left or right. So,
1: well, I kind of don't want to get too much off topic, but do you guys do much AeroPress in Slovakia?
0: yeah. Yeah, we are the we are the company which brought Aeropress in, uh, and I remember I actually told to the Aeropress guys because obviously they are not far away from us and they sometimes come to the boot lab, and I, I even told them that I had hard time to buy it because they somehow forgot the Czechoslovakia split, so <laughs> the the dealer was in Czech Republic, and the dealer was selling mostly you know the uh, the sports equipment you know there because Aeropress is done by Aerobee. Aerobee sells right. sports equipment. so And they had AeroPress just by the side. You know, it's somewhere hidden in a corner. And we were the ones in Slovakia. So this is Czech Republic, Prague. We were the ones in Slovakia who were doing all the promos. I did the videos. I did, you know, a very cool, you know, uh, promo video. We did articles. I wrote for uh, magazines about AeroPress. And, you know, we had to buy it from the Czechs. And not only that they charge us much more, but also... They were not really involved in a product because they were doing sports equipment. Plus, you know, uh, we had to pay shipping costs. And as I said, that, you know, the problem of Europe is that we are very close, but if it's a different country, the shipping costs are like, you know, you're sending something abroad. So it was very hard. But we were the first ones who brought uh, Aeropress to Slovakia and we heavily, heavily promoted because I think that's genius. You know, that's like for a kid, you know, paying 25 bucks, uh, they get a great tool, they can experiment with coffee a lot. So, a well, to a,
1: well, you know, being able to promote that uh, award to your customers, I think it would help on the wholesale standpoint. You know, with us, I mentioned Todd won the U.S. Brewing Championship and we were able to use that on the wholesale side because at least in the States, uh, manual hand pour over now has become a, a growing popular thing. So because he's a, A U.S. champion, you know, we now do classes and training to customers, and they know that if they come to us, we can teach them a way that earned a championship, and we can show them how to do it properly and how variations uh, will affect taste, and we'll do classes and training in that, and it's helped grow our wholesale for that reason. So perhaps you can do the same with the AeroPress in Slovakia.
0: Perhaps. That's not a bad idea, except that barista left us.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now you can't do that.
0: <laughs> no, you, can't, you cannot do
1: that. <laughs> but that's why it paid off for us.
0: Yeah, but uh, you know the thing is that on a U.S. championship, you compete with your own coffee, right, on a, on a board. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's why we need that barista uh, champion, <laughs> because we want to show off not only the skills of making uh, AeroPress, but actually want to see our coffee, you know, to yeah. perform. Unfortunately, in Slovakia, you don't have any coffee competitions. And if you would, you know, I would not really trust them because the reason why Green Plantation is doing so well or was doing so well in the beginning was that nobody else was doing this. You know, there's a lot of people on the Internet. They see how the coffee scene is changing in London, in San Francisco, you name it, United States. But they did not have access to that coffee. Uh, and we, are the, we were the only ones who, who had the guts to roast lightly and say, look, there's not only espresso, because Slovakia is very, very heavy espresso culture. And we do espresso, and we do the light kind of espresso, which is personally not my favorite. But as you said, a, company make, a team makes a company. So Peter likes it, and I was like, fine, you know, let's do that. Uh, but yeah, so that's why we, we basically were, we found a corner that nobody really cared for, because everybody was copying each other, and they were copying this dark roast espresso thing. And we're like, oh, let's just go this way. You know, the world is proving that it works. So let's try that.
1: Of course, the light is a way to differentiate yourself as well.
0: Yeah. So the reason why we did Bootcamp Coffee, shameless plug, the online education for coffee professionals and coffee roasters, is that nobody else did it. Because to make an online product, and you probably know because you did your website, is not easy. Correct. To make all those videos took a lot of time. And we were while we were doing it for over two years, and we were praying that nobody else will start. But once we realized nobody did, we were like, cool, you know, we just do it. And uh, again, we found something which was totally missing, you know, from the market. It's a good thing to, it's a, it's a good way to start a business if you find something which people want, but it's not existing.
1: Well, yeah, you're filling a need. Yeah,
0: it's so easy. <laughs> just find that thing. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, it's not that easy just to say that since uh, we launched Bootcamp Coffee, I'm still looking for the new thing that we can launch, either Coffee or any other industry, and I did not find it. So it takes a lot luck and you know you have to really search. So, Okay, this is an interesting question. Is it a good idea to start a company by commissioning an existing roaster to roast for you? Then after you land some wholesale accounts, start roasting yourself. So what do you think about this?
1: Uh, I think that's not a bad way to go to be honest with you uh mm-hmm. if you're you're able to work with your roaster to get coffees that you'll be able to have access to later meaning i I know some some people in some of our accounts work with us and they and they're involved in selecting coffees that we do for them because ultimately they do want to do that same thing. they select us because they they believe in what we do roasting and they believe that we can you know, create great coffee, but they're involved in selecting the coffee they want us to roast for them. And then we private label it for them. That way they are able to spend their time building their business by sales. Because with coffee, we have to have sales, right? If we're going to grow a wholesale business, I mean, many people can roast, but, but selling you have to be able to do, or you don't, you know, if you don't have customers, there's nothing to roast. So this allows someone to concentrate on that, to build a brand and to do it. But if they just go to a roasted and then they go off on their own, they're going to totally change all the coffee they're doing. They're not going to understand. So if they can work with their roaster and be able to select coffees that they can be able to get later as they grow, and be honest with the roaster, I think any roaster would be happy to work with them and to help them develop over time, knowing they're going to eventually move on. We would.
0: Yeah. Uh, I have a bit mixed feelings about this, Uh, but I get your point, and I guess you're right. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I would think that... One of the fun parts, and I'm talking as a, as a, as a coffee roaster, not as a, as a coffee businessman, is to learn the roasting and create your own product. It's like a chef. You know, you basically create your own meal, you create your own product, your own roast. So if you start with somebody else, you're basically missing, on, miss, missing out on that.
1: Well, partially. That's why I said working with that roaster to have beans that you're able to be part of. But also, I mean, they come in and work with us on the roast as well and the blend. Oh. We use some custom blends for customers where they come in and they develop that blend with us. We cup together. We teach them how to how to blend and we work on that together with a blend that's a signature of theirs that we don't sell it to other people. So, yeah, we do some of that. That way they are involved in that process without yeah. having to do the labor. Just in the same way, you know, I'm, I'm doing many things. I'm talking to you. I'm not out there roasting this minute. I have guys doing it on profiles that our team with me involved developed together. That we think taste right now, they just duplicate it. So they're involved in that process with us.
0: Nice. Thank you for talking to me already two and a half hours. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> taking your time away. So I have the last question here from uh, our listeners. Uh, what marketing was used to get the growth? Uh, for example, did you give away samples? Uh, did you email? Did you find emails your future customers? Or basically, how did you make the wheels turning?
1: Uh, well, for us, we were like I said, we were a little bit lucky, and then we got a lot of recognition through competitions and scores and reviews of our coffee. So our name got out there, so people would would contact us because of that. Uh, so a lot of people just want free samples, and I'll be honest, we're not a free sample company. We don't send out free samples. We invite them to come cup with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how often. I, People will send me things sometimes unsolicited or or out, and I get them, and they sit there. So if I send sample to somebody, it might sit there for two or three weeks before they do it, and then they don't brew it right, they don't cup it right. You know, it's it's kind of a waste of time and and dollars. So we want people to come with us. We want to see who they are. We want to learn about them, their vision, their profile. Not everybody is my customer.
0: Exactly. We're
1: we're a little bit selective in who we work with. You know, we want people that are going to do a good job, especially if it's my brand out there. I don't want them to mess it up. So, you know, I think in our case, if they care about coffee, they may not go with me because there's other great roasters out there. They may select someone else that they like. But I think if they care about having good coffee, they'll care enough to meet with me and to taste my coffee with me. If they just want a free sample, we don't do that. Uh,
0: I like your approach. And that's what we did with Green Plantation, to. Uh, that we ask them to come over to Australia. We want to show them what we do. We want to show them the possibilities. And we want to talk to them.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: because my main issue was, I learned this here in the United States when uh, there is this company called Equators Coffee. You probably know them. Yeah. And uh, I was, uh, I'm was i still a big fan. But my dad came visit. And I said, let, let, let's visit some great cafes here and some great places. So we went, you know, visited places. And there was one place which is kind of a tourist shop, you know, so we went there and I was like, Oh look, they have great creators' coffee, let's have some. And so my dad was like, Oh sure. They totally butchered it. That was a horrible experience. I was like, Oh dad, you know what? Forget this. You know, this is this is my favorite brand, but it's not so bad. It's actually actually very good. So that opened my eyes because I was like, It cannot happen to us, you know, that somebody comes to a place and the coffee was served badly. So we make sure that, you know, we always talk to our, you know, wholesale customers. And if somebody wants to sell our coffee, we ask them to come over and just have fun with us. And we always call it like, come, just come over, have fun with us. You know, you need one relaxing day. We show you how we roast. And that always works, you know. If they are interested, yeah. as you said, if they are really interested in creating a, a good product, they are interested how the product is made. Yes. So they come down, they see, and especially in Slovakia, you know, the farthest place is six hours drive away. So, you know, it's not that hard.
1: And that's the fun part, cupping with them.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Or tasting, because the other thing which I noticed is that sometimes a new customer finds cupping intimidating. It's hard, too technical. So first introduction we usually do now with Chemex and then kind of slowly ease in and then all let's cup together now and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. Mike. It sounds thinks, like
1: we have a lot of equal theories.
0: We do. And you know what? Come on. I learned from you guys, you know. So <laughs> from Willem, from you, so just watching you guys. I have to admit it that, you know, it's, uh, it's not like... Uh, these ideas were born in me. I mean, I got definitely inspired by uh, great guys like you. So thank you well, so ho- much for taking these uh, podcasts.
1: You know, hopefully we'll all keep learning. I mean, I, I read something this last year, uh, a, a book by Scott Rao, which you probably know his name. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, some of the things he wrote about weren't things we were doing. So we did just what I told you. We experimented. We tried some things that way and uh, documented what we did and cut line. Did it and work? Some- in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Okay. You know, where at work. Then we, we started doing that. And now that's one of the ver- – some of the things he taught or some of the variables that we test with our coffees now before we sell them to see which profile works better, what he says or another profile. So, again, we are always kind of learning and stretching and testing. And that's what I think anybody needs to do if they want to stay relevant, stay current, and have a great
0: product. Yeah, and you have to always add yourself. Like the – Again, shameless plug, we, <laughs> we're doing the coffeecourses.com, which is an upgrade for a bootcamp coffee. And uh, the first, um, like, big model we want to launch with is roast profiling, where we take different coffees and find the right roast profile for them. And nobody ever did something like that. So, you know, we uh, we are going to use different approaches to that. But, yes, in one... Uh, in uh, one or two coffees, Willem actually mentioned Scott's Rao's uh, approach. We have a lot of respect for him, obviously, but they don't always work. So
1: <laughs> it's like you found what I did. Yeah. It's funny. He says in there, uh, his one profile, he said, I've never tasted anything that where this didn't work. And I feel like Tom, uh, I've tasted a bunch of it where it works differently.
0: But <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, it's great to... Uh, have all this information because as you said when you started or when I started this was not available. Exactly. So it's great but everything you have to even our like school you have to take with a grain of salt. You know, yeah. you have to uh try it out and see if that works for you.
1: Exactly. Experimentation, documentation and cupping.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So thanks again. And before you go, uh how can people find you if they want to learn more about your coffee and how the people can find if they want to learn about more about your trainings?
1: Well obviously our website's where you start, Clatch K L A T C H Roasting.com. Everything else is through there. Uh, I can be contacted direct, Mike at Clatch Roasting, but you know, through our website and then we have uh, as everybody does, we have the Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagram and all that type stuff. But start with the website, contact us, and let's go from there.
0: Okay, I put all those links into the show notes to this episode. So if people go to coffees.me, they'll find in the article with this podcast, Perfect. they'll find all the links and uh, some info. So thanks yes, again.
1: it been fun talking. I learned more about you. I enjoyed this.
0: Yeah, me too. That was great. Thank you for listening to Coffee is. Me podcast. I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode with uh, Mike Perry from Cratch Coffee. I did. I loved it. And thank you for all your questions you ask via our Facebook group, coffeeis.me. I did not mention this in the introduction, but I'm still looking for your iTunes reviews. There's only a few more calls for these because the end of the year is here. And if you remember, it's my personal challenge. I want to have... 50 itunes reviews by end of 2015 if i do so i'll buy myself a personal professional espresso maker i will have it down in my little lab where i have my roaster and coffee plants and cupping equipment and everything so if you think i deserve that or you think you enjoy this podcast enough please leave me a review on itunes and let me know what you think but there's more to this. Of, of course, you will also receive a bonus. If I get the 50 reviews by end of the year, one of you is going to win the coffeecourses.com membership and uh, three coffees from Green Plantation, my European company, and one mystery coffee, which might or might not be the coffee for my future venture in United States. I love to work with coffee, and I start out of different businesses, so why not another one? <laughs> one little note uh, we mentioned the coffee rose profiles module we already launched it and actually we launched two one is for free you can go to coffeecourses.com and sign up and one is the paid one where is a bit extended and we teach you how to create coffee rose profiles and that's also both of them are also a part of the membership so if you think to get the membership get it now for 100 bucks off with a coupon code welcome. I mentioned in the beginning of the show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're going strong with the holiday season business wise, but also personally, I have to say, I'm going to take a little off because past years I was very busy with uh, creating these uh, online courses. So I think I deserve a little relax. So end of the year, I just take off two weeks. I'm not doing anything, perhaps one more podcast but that's it that's it and i wish you can do that too so you can be with your family and friends well enjoy talk to you soon bye